0: today we continue our sermon series that we began last week on the Psalms. Last week, you'll recall, we took a look at Psalm 1, and this week we will look at Psalm 2. Paired with Psalm 1, it it provides kind of an an entryway into the Psalms, a a doorway to the Psalms that we might understand and and see what God's Word would have for us better. It, It actually kind of works in conjunction with the first psalm they're they're really paired together there's there's no title before psalm 2 as there are before many of the psalms and and some have suggested perhaps it actually was written to be one psalm psalm 1 and 2 together as as one psalm but but that's not there's not a very convincing argument to that uh you know the chapter numbers that you see in your bible are of course not Inspired and oftentimes, chapter breaks are perhaps not in the best place. But, but in this case, I think we can understand that indeed, indeed, this is the second Psalm. Not just because uh, it says so in our uh, Bibles when we look at the Psalm and see the big two before it now, but because the New Testament tells us as well. In Acts thirteen, uh, this very passage is quoted in verse thirty-three, which says, "This he fulfilled to us." their children by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm you are my son today I have begotten you and nowhere in the psalm do we read who wrote it but if we look again in the book of Acts chapter 4 we see that these words are put on the, the lips of David as he is the author of these words and so just as a An important principle that I want to share with you very quickly before we delve into the psalm. It is always good to understand scripture by way of scripture. When we want to understand what the scripture is saying, we can't just take a verse or or even really a, a paragraph and just read it by itself. We need to understand it first in its context, both what has been said right before it and after it, and in its historical context as well but then also understand it in terms of what the rest of scripture says about it an important principle for us to remember we're going to look at as i said psalm 2 and and i want to ask you today as as always but perhaps even more so today than usual it it, it might be handy for you to keep your bible open in your lap as we work our way through uh, this psalm not just as i read through it but as we work our way through it because we're going to be kind of jumping around especially between psalm 2 and psalm 1 a little bit it might be helpful to be able to see the connections being made there if you've got your own personal bible or a pew bible with you that might be helpful for you so now uh before i read psalm 2 let's go to the lord and ask his blessing upon our time here our heavenly father we do know that uh there is nothing that we can know apart from your working, for we are we are dead in our sin and and darkened in our knowledge. We are blind and deaf and completely unable. But you give us life, you open our eyes, you you unstop our ears, and you move in our midst that we might know you and we might know truth. For you are truth. And so we pray that you would give us that knowledge today. Give us that knowledge as we look to your word and speak to us through your word for your word is living and active. And so we ask it to be ask you to make sure that it is today as we look to this second psalm for we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the living word of God. Amen. Psalm 2. This is the inspired word of God. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, "Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us." He who sits in heaven in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will refuge in him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. You know, we as, as Americans have a little bit of a trouble, a little bit of difficulty with the idea of royalty. After all, when we became a, a, a nation to ourselves, it was in, in rejecting the idea of a royal or or a royal family or or this idea of a king that would reign over us and instead we would we would have uh, a democratic republic as it were And, and even so there there is a certain amount of fascination that many of us as americans have with with royalty and specifically the english royalty uh you know just in the news this last week there there was another royal baby born perhaps you saw the news about that and and I, I was noticing some things and saw saw a story that was posted when we were waiting for a couple of days to find out what the name of this royal baby was going to be. And and it was saying in in this story that that while choosing a name is always important business, that that for a royal baby it, it takes on a little bit more weight. And and the point they were making was that that in choosing the names, and often there are three and four and five names, it's a, uh, an expanded thing, that, that each name has to have a, a, a very specific importance. It's not just a matter of, of the parents thinking up of some name that they think sounds really neat. Oh, they heard, heard somebody name that name, and it, that, that sounds like a cool name, and it's the trendiest new name, so we'll pick that. But they can't do that with the royal family. They need to uh, pick a name that, that uh, this story said, quote, uh, portrays Britishness. Heritage, tradition and gravitas that, that's weighty stuff you you can't just choose any name the, the whole idea of royalty is is a little beyond us isn't it uh, but but in the history of the people of god we see that that there wasn't such an antipathy toward a king At one point, they did not have a king when all the other nations around them did, and they cried out to God, God, give us a king. We want to be like the nations of the world around us. We want to have a king. God, of course, wanted to be their king himself, but he relented and he gave them their desires, giving them Saul as a king, who at first was okay, but then turned away from God and went the wrong way, and God ultimately anointed david to become the king david wasn't of the lineage of saul he was from a different family this is a different way than things normally work but god put him in place as the king of his people and he made a promise that from the line of david would come the deliverer of god's people his messiah Great David's greater son would be the one for whom the people of God would wait. And you remember on Palm Sunday, as Jesus ultimately rode into Jerusalem, and the people waved the palms and they threw their cloaks on the ground, what is it that they cried out but Hosanna to the son of David? They knew that it was the son of David that they were waiting for. They knew that it was the son of David that needed to come. And so the royal line was very important to the people of Israel. And so this psalm that we've read today, it is important for us to make note, is what is called a royal psalm. A royal psalm because because it talks about the king and 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 some of the royal psalms and and quite likely this one could could even be more narrowed down to being called a, a coronation psalm in that this is a psalm that would have been would have been sung by the people of god at the coronation of a king as as the king was crowned as he ascended to the throne this psalm would be sung by god's people beyond that it, it goes even deeper this psalm is is a messianic psalm it not only speaks of of the scope of of the davidic king who was reigning at that time certainly it does speak to that but it goes beyond that for the grandiose nature of the promises in this psalm are are far greater than any mere man could fulfill and so we will see that it it points to great david's greater son the messiah the deliverer of god's people the anointed one the christ and so even in this day when we live in a democratic republic instead of a a monarchy this psalm speaks to us because it speaks to us of our king king jesus and we see in it first how we long to be our own king secondly how we already have a king and finally it speaks to us of the decision that we must make as a result of those first two points first of all we long to be our own king why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain when it speaks of the nations it's talking about the Gentiles, the people who are not of the nation of Israel. And, and it's saying, why do these, these people who are not of the people of God, why do they rage? Why do they why do they plot in vain? Why do they have all, all these plans that they come up with against God and against God's people? Don't they know how foolish they are? It's interesting. The the word here that is translated as plot is actually in Hebrew the same word that you find in chapter 1 verse 2 where the word meditate is used that word meditate, the word plot both are actually the same word we lose that in our English translation which is a shame but but it, it carries the idea of murmuring and you can see how they would both kind of have the same same meanings that come from the same place and in chapter 1 verse 2 it says blessed is the man who who." Murmurs to himself the law of the Lord day and night, right? Who Who's just kind of meditating on it, who's murmuring it to himself, who's thinking about it, right? You go through your day, perhaps you're meditating on a certain verse all day long and you just throughout the day are murmuring that verse so under your breath. You're just reciting it to yourself, reminding yourself of it, thinking of it, just chewing on it, chewing on it, digesting it so that you might be nourished by the word of god you see how that murmuring but here we see a different kind of murmuring the people of the raging nations murmur against the lord right they they, they're they're complaining they're murmuring they're they're plotting together oh yeah this is a complaining to each other that kind of murmuring they're they're plotting (coughs) but this plotting is in vain it's in vain and we see kind of the contrast don't we between Chapter 1 and chapter 2. We're we're in chapter 1 talking about what is blessed. What is is good. What is going to bring about happiness. In chapter 2 now we see what is vain. What will not work. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And we see another parallel here. The the wicked rulers who who take counsel together with each other and we're reminded of of the blessed man in chapter 1 again who walks not in the counsel of the wicked you see how how there's this mirror image being set up here we see see right away that this is this is holding up for us here in Psalm 2 this idea that that yes there was this way of righteousness this way of blessedness this this way of life That was shown to us. But now it's showing us this way of death. The way of the wicked. For to go against the Lord's anointed is nothing short of that. It is wicked. It is evil. For he is the one the Lord has prepared and appointed to carry out his purposes. The anointed one. Literally in Hebrew it's the the, the word is, is Mashiach. Right? We get our word Messiah from it. And in, in Greek the translation is Christos. We get our word Christ from it. The anointed one is the Christ, the Messiah. That's who he's talking about. And to to go against him is completely contrary to delighting in the law of the Lord, as we saw from chapter one again what the blessed man does (coughs) now now we see in the beginning of chapter one that speaks of of one who delights in the law who delights in the law of the lord as as something that god intends us to follow so that we might be be freed to become all that god intends us to be so that we might be freed to flourish that we might be freed to, to live life as it's intended to be lived. But here at the beginning of chapter 2, we see one who sees the law not as freeing, not as life-giving, not as as a way toward flourishing, but he sees the law of the Lord as enslaving. He says, let, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us in verse 3. And I want to ask you this question. If you're honest with yourself, how do you see... The law of the Lord. Do you see the law of the Lord as something that He has graciously and kindly and generously and lovingly given to you that you might shape your life by it, that you might know the will of God and follow the will of God and live according to the will of God so that you might flourish and be all that you were intended to be? Or do you see it as this man here who? who sees it as something that has bound him, that he wants to break the bonds of, that he wants to cast away the cords of, as something that has enslaved you and has somehow kept you from doing what you would rather do? Is it something that that has has somehow restrained you from from doing what you think will bring you happiness and what you think will bring you joy? Is Is that how you see the law? Which way do you see the law? If we're honest with ourselves, there are, there, there are times, aren't there, when we see God's laws as restricting us from doing those things that we would want to do. We think that we should be able to do what we want to do. We want to be kings to ourselves. We want to be totally sovereign. We want to say, nobody can tell me what I can do. I'll do what I want to do. You know, we can say that we love God and we can... We can say that we want to be good. We can can attend church every week even and call ourselves Christians. But the reality is that each time we sin, every time we sin, we are taking counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. We need to realize that this is no less than cosmic treason. It's not a matter of slipping up just a little bit. You know, I was was trying to be good, and I I tripped up a little bit the other day. Or, Or I just messed up a little bit. You know, nobody's perfect. It's not a matter of a little mess up, a little slip up. Every sin earns us nothing short of the completely just wrath of God. hopefully there's something in us that knows this as god has created us in his image as he has given us a conscience and even more given us his spirit that convicts us of our sin and causes us to to long for holiness in and of ourselves first and foremost and causes us to see the sin of others and and to wish that they weren't sinning also but but oftentimes I think we get so wrapped up in the sins of others. We get, we get lost in it. We get, we get paralyzed almost by the sins of others. We worry about it so much. We wring our hands over it. And, oh my goodness, it's so unfair. And, and, and we're looking at these other people and we're so worried about it. And we need to consider God's perspective on it. For we see in verse 4, his reaction. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. He's not laughing at their sin as if it's just a silly little thing. Oh, isn't that cute? That's not the picture. Nor is it a matter of him just laughing at the judgment they will receive. "Ah, I'll get them. That's not the picture either. No, the picture is one of God laughing at the futility of their ways looking at them and saying oh my goodness how how vain can these people be you know it's kind of like if you had you had a little child maybe they're, they're three years old and they came in and, and they said hey daddy I, i'm going to build a house for us to live in like, okay you know and you might chuckle a little bit right because because that's completely impossible for this third 3-year-old child to do. And God looks at us. He looks at us and he laughs at our pride and how ridiculous it is. He is not devastatingly worried about it. He doesn't sit there and say, "Oh my goodness, all these people are against me. What am I going to do?" And neither should we. We should rest securely in the Lord. When we look at the world coming against us, when we we see the world around us closing in, whether it's other people, the kings of the world, the powers of the world, or whether it even be, be, be just the brokenness of the world causing problems for us, we can rest in the security of the Lord not in our circumstances, not in in the mindset of the world, not not in the actions of rulers, but but in the security of God. For his throne is secure, and there is nothing that can change that. And we can know that justice will not forever be perverted. We can be sure that the day is coming, that verse 5 talks of, when he will speak to them in his wrath terrify them in his fury. We need to remember that his wrath is not just a matter of losing his temper. Sadly, there are those in our midst today, perhaps you are one, who have had family members, perhaps a a father or a husband or or perhaps somebody else in your life who was, was abusive to you, who who when you read here of somebody acting in their wrath, it conjures up all sorts of images in your mind of terrible experiences that you've had of somebody losing their temper and acting in ways that are reprehensible. And and it's hard for you to read this kind of thing. Because perhaps you you think, "How how can God act in the same way as this other person has acted toward me? And I want to assure you that it is not the same thing. It is not the same thing. When it speaks of his wrath, it is not speaking of God losing his temper. It is not, he he just loses control and lashes out. That is not what is going on. God's wrath is his steady, consistent, purely holy hatred of sin and his Absolutely settled commitment to do something about it. And what is it ultimately that God does about sin? What ultimately is it? But He has sent His Son. Verse 6 As for me, I have set my king on Zion on my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten. it's the same way that the heavenly father speaks of christ jesus when jesus was baptized the same way he speaks of him at his transfiguration it is the good news that god promised to the fathers as we read in acts 13 this he has fulfilled to us their children by raising jesus As also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And so, in verse 8, he says, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. It reminds us of, of other biblical promises. Perhaps it reminds us of when Satan took Jesus out into the wilderness for 40 days and tempted him. And remember that last temptation, the devil took him high upon a mountain, showed him the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to them, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus, of course, did not do that. He said, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord God, and him only you shall serve. Or perhaps it calls us to consider some of God's faithful promises promise in Genesis 12 verse 3 to Abram that in him all the families of the earth would be blessed this cosmic scope again in Matthew 28 as Jesus is preparing to, to leave his disciples to ascend and he says to them all authority all authority not some authority not most authority all authority in heaven and on earth given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations not just the guy down the street although that's important not just the folks in your country although that's important all nations God's plan is vast to reach the entirety of the earth, the ends of the earth And all we have to accomplish this plan is Jesus. But that is all we need. And so he says in verse 9, You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. There are all kinds of things we could say about this. We don't have time today, but there's one thing I want to point out. It's this. This breaking, this dashing, this shattering, this, this being completely broken in a way that it cannot be fixed is what we deserve this is what we deserve because of our sin we we deserve to be shattered be dashed be broken this is what we deserve but god through christ jesus has offered peace he has offered wholeness he has offered this to us only because Jesus has taken upon himself this dashing, this shattering, this breaking on the cross. For for on the cross, he was broken as with a rod of iron. And it was on the cross that he was dashed in pieces like a potter's vessel. And it was on the cross that ultimately we are saved from God, by God, through God, for so the question is, how do we respond to these things? How do we respond to these things? Very quickly in verse 10, be warned. Be warned. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Be warned. Know that this is the case. Know that you deserve the judgment of God. Know that you are a sinner who stands deserving condemnation. God will not be mocked. His justice must ultimately be done. But know that we can have salvation from it through Christ Jesus who died for our sins. Secondly, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. You rejoice with trembling. You know, I, I was thinking of this er- earlier today, actually. This just kind of came to me this morning. Uh, Just last, this last week I had uh, a day I was driving home and I I came to a stoplight and I I was sitting there, it was right at the corner of uh, Genesee and uh, Court Street and I'm sitting there and the light is red and I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and finally it turned green and I started to go and I got about halfway through the intersection and all of a sudden I saw somebody flying down, probably going 65 miles an hour right to it. And that person slammed on the brakes, and his wheels were screaming, and there is smoke flying off the wheels as he is screeching right toward me. And I slam on my brakes, and he comes to a stop right in front of me, barely misses me. I said, wow, that was a little too close for comfort, and so he backed up, and I drove away and my first thought was rejoicing (laughs) boy that could have been really really bad but you know what i noticed shortly after that like in the seconds after it my heart was beating a little bit faster (laughs) now i wasn't nervous of anything that was going to happen to me then that's not why i was nervous i was nervous because of what had happened and what could have happened i was rejoicing With trembling. And that is what he calls us to here. We should rejoice with trembling. Rejoice because of the salvation that is yours in Christ Jesus, but tremble at the damnation that should have been yours, and could have been yours, and would have been yours. If not for the grace of God. Rejoice with trembling and finally kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way for his wrath is quickly kindled. Kiss the sun. We'll sing in a moment how great thou art. We'll sing that that, that line. Bow in humble adoration. I think that's the same idea when it says kiss the sun. Bow in humble adoration before the sun, before Jesus. Realize that that this salvation that he has offered is not just fire insurance that gets us out of hell and we go on living our life however we want no we we bow before him we we give him our lives ultimately this is our responsibility and ultimately at the name of jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth every knee from the smallest littlest most basic peasant to the most glorious of kings every knee will bow so shall we bow, knowing that blessed are all who take refuge in him. All who take refuge in him are blessed. If you seek salvation in any other means, there is no salvation to be found. But if you seek salvation in Christ Jesus, the blessings of grace Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And here's the amazing thing. If we seek refuge in him, then his spirit testifies that we are adopted as children of God through him. And if children, then heirs. And if heirs, heirs with Christ. Christ the king. This chapter started out with people wanting to be kings to themselves. It ends with the blessings of grace that as we trust in him, as we depend upon him as we pay homage to him and we live for him the end result is that we too can be kings, heirs of the kingdom of God with Christ Jesus let's pray our heavenly father we we thank you for your great grace, we thank you for the fact that This psalm and truly all of scripture points to you. It helps us to see Christ Jesus more clearly. Pray that as a result of this time we've spent in your word today, that you might shape us and mold us, that we might more look like Jesus. That working through us, you might accomplish your purposes for the church here and throughout the world. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. To rise now and sing our closing hymn, in number 147.